Testing, testing one, two, three. Testing four. Actually, less than summer baby five, pardon. Uh, summer 1997, she ordered my come half the month. What I want to do in this slash introduction is to try and establish the basis for the derech I want to try and, and develop in this year. Not a, a fully realized derech, it's something that you'll help me develop as we go through it, but I want to explain why it is that I'm trying to do it a certain type of thing and what it is I'm trying to accomplish. Again, I can set out with two basic two basic presumptions as to, what, as to where a derech comes from. One is I start off on the assumption that a derech reflects a hashkafa on other issues. Okay, that derech limit is not solely like, is not solely a consequence of the way of the way one approaches Gemara, but generally reflects a broader approach to, to all sorts of issues in Hadis. Right, and that's my as an assumption. I'm not going I'm not going I'm not going to justify it, but I'll give you an example, and you'll see whether you think that that, that holds up or not. And number two, I'm going to take an idea which is uh, very explicitly taken from the Rav. Which is the notion that a derech has to leave room um, has to leave room for chiddush. Okay. Now the idea, the the relation, the, the importance of chiddush in halacha is not something that I'm going to claim that I'm going to have anything new to contribute. And the rub didn't make it up. But the emphasis on human creativity um, as a central as the central aspect of Talmud Torah is probably original with the rub. If you all know the drasha, Mahu God introduces Himself to man at the beginning of the Torah as the Creator. So then the ultimate um, then the ultimate act of the Metashio day is for man to create. Okay, so we're going to, so those are the, those are the two Hanachot from which we leave. Right? One is, one is the idea that a Derech Halimut should not be, it should not be something that exists in isolation. Number two is that it has to leave room for creativity. Now there's certain, there's certain um, consequences that flow from that which might not seem anywhere near as intuitive as those two. For instance, that would seem to imply that if one has a Derech Halimut that has exhausted its creative potential, you have to develop a new hashkafa. Because if, if your derech limit is tethered to your hashkafa, and your derech limit is no longer, no longer being creative, the only way in which you can develop a new derech limit is to develop a new hashkafa. Just to draw out what the implications of the model, yes? Uh, it's okay. A broader philosophical outlook to the role of Talmud Torah in Judaism, in particular, and the, the purpose of the purpose of Mitzvah generally. which is an issue which does come up in this, although I don't really address it much in Gemara, 
Um, I address it in Halacha and I address it in Chumash. Um, you know, if I ever get the book on Gracious Notes, you know, there's a long, long section uh, you can read on the computer on the, on the role of self-conscious, that one of the defining characteristics of, of contemporary American modern orthodoxy, every term you want to use it, is self-consciousness, which is radically different than, um, than what happened previously. Not entirely, though, because certainly the Maharal was, was consciously methodological. Um, it's attacks on pilpils. The notion of being self-conscious of a method is not that modern. Um, that, that's a much broader thing. Okay, I don't think it is unique. I think that the word we're showing you had a particular direct and explicitly pushed it. You have all the Sifrei Kalim among the Sardin. Right? He was specifically said, you have, right, this is the direct issue learning Gemara. You have the Dhamma allegedly of Rishmah Hanagid. Yeah, right, also all, 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 all of those. But I don't think it's pretty, in Gemara, it's not particularly unique. There are certain types of self consciousness which are unique. In the way you apply things, in the way you develop things, the halacha, there's a lot in Kumish, but I don't think it's in our example. Right? Well, it's not clear you can separate them. We'll talk about that, okay? We'll talk about that. Okay, what I want to, what I want to do, because I think that any, um, I think that any attempt in our community to address any kind of hashkafa, you have to respond to the rub. And part of what I want to, part of what I'm trying to accomplish is to expand expand my own understanding of the world. Um, I find that it goes in cycles. There are times in the beginning I don't like it at all, and then all of a sudden, or, you know, there's usually like these wild, wild swings where you understand something. Every time you understand something better, uh, it changes my opinion radically, one way or the other. Um, so I want to try and explain to you two different aspects of the Rav Sashkafa, and explain why they're both connected, I think, to a particular Dara um, show why, the Terechalim, why I think that Derech takes a position on a particular halachic issue. Show that, show that, show that one can demonstrate. I think that, that certainly an alternative position on that halachic issue, which the Rebbe assumes one way is possible, and then try and draw out the implications of that Derech Okay. I mean by reading you by reading you a line, by reading you a, um, a line basically, two lines, two lines from from halachic man. Um, okay, one one is um, his famous line. Therefore, many of the greatest halachic men avoided and still avoid serving in rabbinical posts. They rather drain themselves to the group of those who are reluctant to render practical decisions, and if necessity, which is not to be decried, compels them to disregard their preference and to render practical decisions. This is only a small, insignificant responsibility which does not stand at the center of their concerns. Okay, right, and that's that's famous. The Rav claims that halachalamaisa is relatively insignificant. Then he uses a different image, um, one page later. That was page 24. This is page 26. He says, the concept of the Day of Atonement or the Night of Passover, for example, is an ideal concept. An halachic man sees the Day of Atonement in the resplendent image of the glory of the sacrificial service of the day, or the Night of Passover in all its majesty at the time when the temple was still standing. Right? Both, both in Kippur and Pesach nowadays, we have no Kohen Gadol, no Korbanot, no Mizbeach, and no, no in the entire Avedat Beit HaMikdash. Um, are devoid of all the holiness and glory with which they were endowed at the time of the temple. Both are only a pale image of the ideal constructions that were given on Mount Sinai. Okay, we have nowadays defined as a pale image of what was given at Sinai. Um, anybody know what the Hebrew for pale image is? No. The Hebrew here is Vivoa de Vivoa. Okay, the rest says, the rest says that, that, we, that we call Pesach and Kippur nowadays. That the halacha elements of Pesach and Kippur are a bivoa de bivoa of the ideal construction. Anybody know where the term bivoa de bivoa comes from? Literally, no, I mean, literally shadow of a shadow. Okay, where, does it come, where does it come from in halacha? Okay, 
Excellent. If you see a shade, the way if you see if you see a being at night and you wish to know whether whether it is a shade or a human being, so you tell you, you see whether it's whether its shadow has a shadow or not. Okay, apparently shade and shadows have shadows. Sorry, shade and shadows do not have shadows. Human beings' shadows do have shadows. Um, if you want to put it, you know, in somewhat more more uh, realistic terms, we, we would say that um, human shadows have penumbras and shade and shadows do not have penumbras, which is a, if you look at the way shadow spreads, it's got a really dark area under the defined space where it's just gray. Could be that's what the good part is. Um, I still don't, you know, I still don't know if this particularly works very well. I don't have any experience with it. But uh, that's the core for the uh, that's the core for the um, for the for the idea. But that's not that obviously doesn't have any significance, right? The point, the point is not that you can. The point is not that the the halakha we have nowadays is a shade and the and the and the, uh, and, and the, and the halakha that is a really human being. It's not a comparison. Where else does shadow and shadow come in? The intellectual history we just saw. Plato's Plato's cave. Plato's cave, Plato's cave, where the real world is. The real world, the real world is a world of ideas. The world, the world of shadows is. The world we live in, and the shadow of a shadow is. Shadow of a shadow is art. Because art, art is an attempt. Art is an attempt to copy the to copy the physical world in such a way that it enables the population. To understand the concept, to understand the ideal world better, to perceive. It's a way to bring the perception of the ideal world into the physical world. Okay? I think, I told Lawrence Kaplan this, I thought, I thought that, that a good part of the a good part of the point of the book got lost when he translated Bhavodavo as pale image as opposed to shadow of a shadow. Um, because the Yasoda Yasoda Avisha Lacha is that analogy. That the real world, the real world is the world of numbers. Okay, the physical world is a reflection, right? right? The physical world is a reflection of the ideal world that we have nowadays. Right? It's a shadow of it. Psak is art. Psak is the attempt to construct a right to construct a life in such a way that people living it can perceive the ideal in their the ideal in their real world. Okay, yes, sir. Well, the ref talks about one of the most big examples has been Saramara, Vaitamanuga. All these things, right? It doesn't it doesn't right, it makes no difference whether they ever come into reality or not. But all we relate to is the concept. Right, that's as classic as if you understand the concept, the existence and reality is irrelevant. Okay, one could quibble about that, right? And I share in Sanhedrin, so I, I find it that the Shita, that in Saramara Lahayev Lasudliyos is a Shita Siyafit. Um, and all those things is a Shita Siyafit. But, but in the, in the Rav's system, 
And I think the only the only reason to find putting it is the the Sefer of Kotzev. The Sefer Mitzvahs Rekinadi Paskins that way, and Ramban quotes it to Shem Beis Shemrin. All the all the other Rishonim quote it straight. Yeah, the Rambam himself would rather find it's about. Yes. Correct. Correct. Um, and the, there's this, right, this, I'm not gonna, I don't find there's a monolithic perspective, right? But the Rose, the Rose, the Rose argument is built on that assumption. Okay? Um, okay, so the, um, anyways, the, the, I think, I think that's like, if I had, you know, the one, one central idea in Yishalafa, that would be a central idea. Now, the question then is, how does that idea impact on the question of Tamimitzah? If you think about it, the what, 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 what does reason mean? If the purpose, right? If the purpose of anything practical is simply to get you to understand the concept behind it. So the idea that there are reasons for mitzvahs in terms of their practical accomplishments is silly, right? There's no, there's no right? We know what the purpose of all mitzvahs. The purpose of all mitzvahs is to get you to understand something, right? Right? The, right? The, the concepts have priority. It's not the reality. Reality, right? The effect in reality can, is, a, is at best secondary. Exactly. You're assuming, you're assuming it's you're assuming it's a fear, it's Assuming that. Well, I'm, I'm right. We get crazy very much the wrong screens for nieces. Okay, I'm 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 being nefarious the rub right now. Okay, I'm being nefarious. I'm being I'm being nefarious the rub right now. I find out that that one of the um that what I think and again you can you know this is my 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 drush if you will on that one line. I'm very happy to discover that one line. But I think that that the Sodi the Sodi is good. Is that right? Is that claim that the purpose, that the purpose for the isha halacha of halacha, is purely conceptual, and then those grounds, practical tamei hamitzvos become right, become become ludicrous. Okay, that's one aspect of the um, one as one aspect of what of what we've accomplished. The second thing, um, I'll give that to someone. I think that'll be because we know, we know all, right, we all have practical purposes, but are just designed to give you, right, to create, to create understanding. Okay. Um, okay. In Halachic Mind, which you all know was published first, uh, was the, right, it was released, it was released really the prolegomenon to, to, um, Halachic uh, man was supposed to be the answer. It remains to be seen whether, in fact, it answers the question in the same way that Halachic mind intended it to be answered. Um, Professor Karmi told me that the Rav actually tried to really meet to write something once on Paraduma that met the standard of Halachic mind and never succeeded. It's not clear the challenge Halachic mind ever would have met. Um, Halachic mind seeks to uh, seeks to deal with the. Um, with the problem, with the problem, yeah, I'm not going to do, do the whole philosophic thing here. You can study the outline later and, and see that, um, and see the way it sets up. Halachic mind tries to deal with the problem raised by modern philosophy, um, not, not solely on modern philosophy, the problem which became current, um, it passed through the phenomenological revolution, 
that you cannot, the human, the human mind cannot possibly understand anything beyond itself. Okay, is there any idea implicit in Kant that there are certain categories, certain categories which the human mind imposes on reality, and therefore you can never really study anything other than the categories you impose on reality? Okay, here is the question, how do you have any kind of knowledge, right? Kant's argument against the argument from design was there isn't really a pattern. It's that the human mind is organized in such a way that we perceive pattern. Right? Give, give any human being any random set of colors, and you'll start drawing designs in your mind if you look at it long enough. Okay, so it doesn't prove anything about the existence of order, it just tells you something about the mind, that the mind has, um, that the, mi the mind has, um, the mind imposes order on the universe. Um, so Kant, Kant set up a, uh, Kant argued that nonetheless, right, nonetheless, in order for us to talk to each other, there has to be something called objective knowledge. Okay, but how can, there be, but if we're really only studying our own minds, right, so how can you ever get to objective knowledge? And the solution to that was, we can study the generic human mind. Now, we can claim that there are certain types, that there are certain ideas which are hardwired into the human brain. And therefore, even though we don't know anything about the object in itself, the noumena, but we can be sure that when we discuss certain things, we can talk about them as if we share them, because we're all going to perceive them in the same way because the human mind is hardwired in a particular way. Okay, that, that's the concept of the, um, of the analytic a priori. Yeah, the concepts, right, concepts that are hardwired into the human brain don't require any don't require any type of analysis. And even if you're not conscious of them, right, even if you're not conscious of them, you still think of those terms. Okay, and for Kant, those terms were time, space, and causality. Okay, and the rub then came along. And here I credit my friend Nathan Feldman for um, who worked this out with me. You may be right, you may be wrong, but both the credit and the blame is equally his. Um, the, um, what the Rav basically did was come along and confront the same difficulty in religion. Once upon a time, right, just as once upon a time scientists studied the physical world to understand the physical world, and then Kant came along and said, no, 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 you can't really study the physical world to study the physical world. All you can do is study, is study the physical world to understand the way in which the human mind perceives, perceives the physical world. And then some, the obvious question was, okay, so now we can no longer study God directly anymore than we can study the physical world directly because Kalvachomer, then the notion of Kalvachomer, if our minds are incapable of perceiving the world the way it actually is, our minds are incapable of perceiving God the way he actually is. Okay, and so what was necessary is to come up with a concept of religious study which could match Kant's concept of the analytic a priori. Okay, which could find some way for talking about religion objectively, even though you couldn't say you were saying anything that was actually about God. Okay? How is this different from the Shinus? You talked about the unknowability of God, but you, still, you answered it by saying, okay, you come as close as you can to, right, to talking about God. You never changed the, the object of study from God. You still studied God, you just made you either gave up on studying God, according to Ramos, that he couldn't say anything, or you said, okay, we understand that our language doesn't describe God accurately, but we do the best we can in terms of our studies of God. Pardon? Uh, I'm not dealing with you know, all the stuff like that. It's not, uh, not, no. No, no cabal. I don't, I don't understand that I don't, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, if you want the Rishonim's model, you know, to some extent, is, you know, somebody who doesn't have glasses, right? Okay, so I can't describe any of you accurately at this point. But if you're asking, what am I trying to describe? If I write about it, I'm trying to describe you guys. Right? Really kind of sad. 
like I said, four months ago, I could study it just by two days after that. <laughs> no, it's simply a function of wearing glasses full time and not of deteriorating vision. Um, okay. So now the question is, what could one do? Right? And for the road, if you read, read the rhetoric in Malachic Mind, much of the rhetoric is designed to argue that, there must, that for religion to be valuable, it must be objective and not subjective. That's a major thesis of the book. And yet he had this problem, how can it be anything other than subjective if you can't know anything outside yourself? And the solution that I've developed, the solution that I've developed was that there are there are concepts as a priori for for filtering religious experience as time, space, and causality are for filtering physical experience. Okay, that just as human beings are incapable of perceiving the world, Without automatically, without automatically putting it, you know, when you see an object, you automatically put it into space. Perhaps this object doesn't occupy space. We have no way of dealing with it. That's why we have such a problem understanding the concept of soul, right? In all these medieval debates, you know, do, do souls occupy space? Do they occupy spiritual space? Right? You know, can you localize the exist the soul in the body? Because we have no concept of a thing which doesn't occupy, right? Which doesn't relate to space in some way. Okay, we can't deal with anything without time. We can't deal with anything without causality. That was Kant's, Kant's argument. So Rev wanted to argue that one could come up with with an equivalent uh, with an equivalent concept in terms of in terms of religion. And what he argued, as I understand it, is that the concepts of halakha are as are as a priori to religious experience as the concepts of time, space and causality uh, of time, space and causality are to um, are are to physical experience. And just and the London is the scientist. The scientist does is he has the data, it's, you know, completely unfiltered data. He filters it through time, space, and causality automatically, and then you try and build deeper patterns built on deeper patterns based on that. So what Alamin does is he has this religious experience, filters it through the categories of halacha, and you try and and, um, and tries and builds larger structures out of those. Um, okay, the goal, right? The the um, the goal. The goal that I've accomplished here was to make religious study as objective, as objective as scientific study, and to reclaim the notion that religion was something other than studying yourself individually. It was studying something objective. It was studying right, the purpose of religion. The Talmud Torah is to understand the way in which human beings understand God, which is the closest you can come to understanding God. Okay, but it was a huge move. So you're no longer studying God directly. Right, what you're studying is you're studying the religious consciousness. Just as Kant argued that you're studying the physical consciousness. Okay, it was a tremendous intellectual move, and basically the way it was done, and you take a look at the sheet, you'll see that you'll see um, you, you can see how that lines up. Basically what he did was he took the Kantian scheme and you presume that he took the, the Marburg school of Neo-Kantian Neo, Neo-Kantian thought scheme. You're all welcome to look at the encyclopedia philosophy and see if you can figure out the difference between the Marburg school and the other schools of Neo-Kantianism, uh, which involve whether thought produces its own object. There is an object of thought which exists. I, I uh, beg off. I so there are times that I have read and understood it for the 30 seconds immediately following the article, but attempting to explain it to anybody else is beyond my capacity. But the basic move. Right, which I think it deserves credit the same, you know, the same way that the Ram in many ways took this giant Aristotelian scheme and mapped it onto Judaism, the Rav took this giant Neo-Kantian scheme and mapped it onto Judaism and found and found a comparison. But it came, it, it requires it requires a massive contention. Okay, the contention requires 
is that halachic concepts are a priori. Right, now what does a priori mean? A priori means they're not affected by any individual experience. Right, so they're simply things that are hardwired in, that are hardwired into the human brain. And that means you can't allow anything like reasons for it. Because first of all, a priori means they have, to, they have to exist before anything happens, they're just there. The concept, once you start doing reasons, then right, if you start talking about what it, if you start talking about, you know, if you start bringing in your own logic into developing that, um, as opposed to simply taking taking the data and applying it. And you say something like any society you're referring to, there is a I don't understand how that would make sense. But they say that all the rabbis are, so a lot of reasons are based on the fact that they're going to be inside the reserve. Right. You pay yourself the impression that one has to react against a society in the reserve. Trying to make a really broad, a very kind of, the Rav tried, I think the Rav really needs it to function on the level, on some kind of specific level. He doesn't say, he never defines precisely what the levels are, whether it's Taryag, Mitzvot, or the fundamental levels, and the other things are developments. Never defined it, but I think that it has to be something deeper. Yes, sir. No, no, I think that there, there you have to work out. The Rav claims that, uh, that just the time, space, and causality are a priori, gravity is a development. Okay, but gravity doesn't tell you why there are time, space, and causality. Gravity just says, given time, space, and causality, right, as the factor that I'm going to develop this, right, then this pattern is, appears to exist. Okay, so that's what Lumbus is supposed to be. Given certain fundamental concepts, right, let's say Taryag Mitzvahs, okay, given those, if given those, then we can start developing further, right, further, further structures, further, far more elaborate structures. Um, but but, the, but the fact that there are a lot, the fact that there are two, the fact that there are I know, I know, I know it's fine. Because the Ramban on Taryag, you know, where it's fine. So, so, like, why, why is that, why, what could be written? That's the point where we start. That's correct. I, I, I'm picking Taryag as an arbitrary moment. The Rav never tells you. The Rav never tells you what the equivalent is. Okay, that's, it's an assertion, as I understand. What the equivalent is, that, that way, human, human, for example, a certain sense we can get about how the no, the the, the, the the claim, the famous claim that you know, all Chazakas have to be have to be reflect uh, metaphysical realities and not simply be descriptions, which you know ends up would be a great idea that you know, that there are, I don't I went to ask the teacher the mentor and he told me that but when he asked about this, I told him something. Carmi doesn't remember. Formulating this way, anti-formulating this way, whatever. That uh, somebody asked her, how can you, you know, if we hold in a Kolmalami Bishatorah, Kinolanda Tiflis, how can you teach women Torah? Right, if because you hold it, it has to be a metaphysical statement, then he said, those are metaphysical women, these are real women. 
uh, which yeah, you know, there are presence, I guess, a much fancier formulation. You know, there's, an, there's, an, there's an inherent metaphysical flaw, which is more likely to make a tiflis, but we, Bismanazir, are capable of overcoming this particular flaw. And therefore, and therefore, we we are uh, you, know, you can you can do things to to recreate it. It doesn't um, the lines of philosophy and stuff didn't mix very much. Uh, what we had to do, you had to do, and you worked out the uh, worked out what had to be done afterwards. You know how to how to fit in philosophy afterwards. Um, but I don't think Talmud do is part of Talmud do. The reason he said that is because if Talmud Torah, if the purpose of Talmud Torah is the understanding of these concepts, so then it's not Talmud Torah to study details. Right, if, right, if, you, if, you, if, you, if all this is reflecting is a societal description, why is it Talmud Torah? Real Talmud Torah is understanding a concept. It doesn't help me understand the concept. Is that what you will have? You could be, but it's not for the Rav. The Rav is an assumption that Talmud Torah is this act of getting, of penetrating to the Platonic ideal. That's, his, right, that's, that's the whole, you know, then that relates back to the whole question, right? What, what is he? You know, that's the reflection of the border Hashkafa, but this is all, it's, it's seamless. Right? To understand the godless, but the Rav HaKadosh had to realize that every single detail is part of this giant scheme. Um, it's not clear that he ever actually succeeded, as I said, as Fikarmi said, he tried to do it. This is also what's behind in, in Halakhic mind, the difference, the distinction between asking the what and the why. Okay, Rav always made fun of Mishir, you know, so you can't ask why questions, you can only ask what questions. You raise your hand and say, what is the reason that? Right. Uh, I don't know if you had this experience. I had this experience. <laughs> um, but um, the if you ask why, then you're asking, then you're asking, then you're introducing your own ideas into the original concept. If you ask what, you're saying, okay, here the concept is given. Right. We can take a look and see, like what, what you know, what in fact are the implications of this concept, without in any way, without in any way claiming that because it has these implications so far, therefore it should have these implications in the future. Right? You just describe what it is. Okay, anyway, this is my, this is, um, that's my explanation of the way, of the way in which the, um, the way, the way in which the, um, the, 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 way, the way in which the philosophy of Talmud Torah relates to the broader philosophy. And obviously, it's not coincidental that when you have this purpose, when you, that when your concept of the goal of Talmud Torah is to penetrate the Platonic ideal, that you develop a dera which is built on discovering the concept. Right, obviously, right, the brisker dera, right, this philosophy, I, the way I, I argued this once, I think it's still plausible, is that you have, you have a yachas agonia. The more conceptual your dera gets, the more likely, the more likely you are new to philosophy like this. The more, the more, the, 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 Okay, we take, there is a, there is a development in the Lajan away from the, the initial claim that Talmud Torah, right, in Rechaim Velajan still, still thinks Asuke Shemaita Levi Dehilkasa as the purpose of Talmud Torah. And as time goes on, it, right, but Benesh Rechaim started developing this idea that Talmud Torah is, is in, exists in its own right. That's the first move towards this philosophy. And when you start thinking Talmud Torah exists in its own right, then you start being able to come up with a, a, a claim that, the, that it's just to develop ideas. Okay, then when, right, then once you have this, when, once you're only developing ideas, the question becomes, but late, why am I doing this? Right, yeah, you're claiming I'm doing it to affect, to build metaphysical universes, how does it accomplish that? So then you, you could, well, there's always one way out of it, and, and, and there's another way out of it. 
That's correct. But I think that but if you take a look at Nefesh Rechaim, Lani is that Rechaim's claim that Kabbalah makes Tamatana more important than any other mitzvah is an assertion, which does not, he does not ground it in any way. In point of fact, the same statement he makes about Tamatana, he makes about all other mitzvahs in Rechaim, word for word. Bono Lamas, Mamish, word for word. And if you just read the book, you wouldn't have any understanding. You would have an assertion. You wouldn't have any understanding of why Tamatana this way is more important than Chesed or waving palm branches around or anything like that. But so my time is, so long as you still learn something to do with Allah and Maisa, so the Kashi wasn't so bullied. I know why I'm learning. Right? And I've, you know, so I'm in Alder Chaim's words, but basically I don't have this Kasha. You know, why are we learning Shor Shnaga and Safara? I know I'm learning Shor Shnaga and Safara. So you, you said you're in, you're whenever we're learning Shor Shnaga, you're more obsessed with the Kashi. Now you're saying, now you're saying, it's mostly with Darek Lee, but it affects the other way. Yes. It's like you're doing this the other way. It's the Yachas Agam. It's right. The Yachas Agam. Okay. Um, the. The um, okay, there are there there are a couple of problems that that I think we we have room for some to get there. Um, one is well, the general problem with the with the Derek nowadays, and this affects some of us, not others. We can take this as real. This is sort of something that I worked out together with the African really upset when his counselor when I told him this. He asked me this question at an ABS conference, and I gave the following answer, and he said, "It's so great. I just heard the exact same thing in Israel. There must be a whole move in the Shiva world." And it turns out he heard it from Gnack, and of course we developed a diversity together. So it ruined his article about this philosophic idea sweeping in the modern of the Shiva world. Um, but we um, talked about how we've gotten to the point where the Briskin Darath was mechanized. You can put out a book, you can put out a book like Yitzhak Adler's London, which tells you basically right, what all the Fakirs are. You can debate the readings in the book, problems with a lot of the readings in the book, but the idea is fundamentally there. We're doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and then you have, thanks to, I have, I haven't seen, I have both the Barilan and the Osirah Postkin City run on the computer over there. So, so the, the idea, so the, you have a tremendous, whereas once upon a time, even when you weren't doing Fakiras, the goal was, okay, identify Shitos, right? I can find Shitos that nobody else has found. But now, it doesn't even, you know, now you can just sit down and get all the Shitos. You have an encyclopedia Talmud, like um, on the Makaras, like Darshina Talmud Ikra. So I could, I'll get to this, right? So, Darshin and Tamnikra, I could, um, Darshin and Tamnikra, I could have spent a lifetime going through all of, all of, all of, all of Shudakronim, Rishonim, Nakronim, line by line by line, trying to, trying, trying to find out, um, trying, trying to find, trying to find all the shitas about it. Instead, there are two different things I can do. I can go to the Tech of and all the shitas are there. Or I can do a Barilan's response search, which I did also, and I can give you 150 shivas on the issue. And which once upon a time, you know, that was a tremendous act of creativity was to discover these shitas. But, it, but or at least it was a grounds for your contribution. But um, now, um, yeah. So and I tell it that between the mechanization of Klikiras and the and the existence of anthologies which put together all shitas, it was not clear that the Briskaderach was still was still was still capable of producing great creativity. Um, and therefore, on the grounds that we argued before, there there were difficulties in continuing in continuing to use it. But it failed. It failed the test of the, as such, it failed the test of the ropes um, that the ropes set up. Um, they also point out that one could raise the philosophical that Kant's notion didn't really stand up um, because quantum mechanics sort of messed up the claim that time space and causality were in fact different categories because quantum mechanics sort of 
it does away with time and causality. Not yet space. Um, but space is sort of being eliminated by certain other parts of physics. Um, and what I want to argue is that if one could prove, in fact, that we held their Shinantama de Krav, that that would have a similar effect. Because that would, right? Because if you could prove their Shinantama de Krav, which is at the most fundamental level, right, at the Psukim, right, that we can write that what the Psukim mean is impacted by our own notion of, or by our, by our own idea of what religious, of what, um, what, of what religious purpose is, then that would cause grave difficulty with calling something a priori. Right. And so therefore, I think that a fundamental presumption of much of what goes on in the Rosh Hashanah, or at least the way he presents it, at least there's, there's grave difficulties if you were to hold the Rosh Hashanah. Here, we have a reaction that they had when I talked to him yesterday, but everyone knows that we've asked him to hold the Rosh Hashanah. Uh, in fact, I remember in Yeshiva asking, you know, about, you know questions like that. And asking, he said, well, we've asked him to hold the Rosh Hashanah. Everybody knows that. And the reason we know that is because the Beis Yosef says the Rambam says so, um, and the Beis Yosef generally has a dominant impact on the way people perceive things. And in this case, the Beis Yosef um, said that the Rambam said that. Um, that there's no folks of Rebbe Rabbi Shimon, we ask that Rabbi Huda, Lord Rashi, and Tamdi Kron. So I want to do and share is take you through, take you through, not all the Rambams. Okay, we don't have, we don't have. Right, if you take a look at the giant sheet, the giant sheet. Is I think just about all the relevant sugyas and problems on, on the issue of Darshan and Tamadikra. Every sugya where Darshan and Tamadikra appears as a term, um, and the Rambam, the Rambam thereupon, except for the Sefer Mitzvahs, for some reason didn't include. Yes, Ali. Maybe. What do you think the definition of focus is? Right. There's nothing wrong with the definition of folk. Not the redux definition of folk. It's not anybody in the evil Spanish philosophic traditions definition of folk. Folk are mitzvahs which are a little bit harder to understand. Take a look at the redux of them. That's all I think. Even with that, I mean. No, you see, let's see. I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily disagree. I'm just pointing out that again, it's not, it's not Muscamla de Riacol. There is such a thing as a folk which is incomprehensible. Okay, because in the Spanish philosophic tradition, you generally assume all things were comprehensible, just some took more time than others. Um, it's hubris to believe you got the right answer, but it doesn't mean it's not right. To be sure you got the right answer is hubris. It doesn't mean there isn't a right answer and that you're not capable of achieving it. Just certainty that's that, that's that's hopeful. Okay, so let's take a look at the right? That was that was that was the, the philosophic dumb. We'll get back to it. Let's just go through the the, the sugya quickly. So you start with the sugya and Sanhedrin. How many sheets are there? Three. Is that clear in the mission? How many how many sugyas the Gemara mentioned? Sheets does the Gemara mention? Two. Right. As far as the Gemara is concerned, only two sheets, right? Goodbye to the first one. Okay, you could argue, but the Gemara doesn't mention the third sheet. Okay, as far as as far as as far as the Gemara is concerned, let's what let's say practically, what are the three sheets about lawyer bill notion? Mm-hmm. 
18, so first read is maximum 18, we don't really, you know, we, 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 we care not what kind of 18, right? And second sheet is? And you have an infinite number, you have an infinite number of good wives and up to 18 bad wives. Right, you have an infinite number of wives who aren't maester level, and you can have 18 who are maester level, basically. Right? And you have a third sheet uh, which says, Right. 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 We don't, we don't, until you get to number 18, we don't look. No, do you think of this? Do you think the Ravishiman holds is 18, right? I'm sorry. Ravishiman holds that 18 is irrelevant. Look, a filo asa is the mysterious libos. He doesn't think the yarda means, okay. He thinks he thinks one, he thinks the issue is, is yasir or, not, or lo yasir, the issue is not, the issue is not number period. A yarba doesn't have a number, correct. Okay. Good. Thank you. Right. Right. The, the limit of 18. Okay. Fine. The, so you have, right, so if you, if you had to, the Gemara categorizes the position of Rabbi Huda as Darish Tam Dikra. Right, the position of Rabbi Shimon as not Darish Tam Dikra, and we're left with the mystery, right, if there is a Tanakama, what is the Tanakama's position? Okay? Fine. Um, okay, the Gemara begins, right, the Gemara says, so we see from Peter Behuda's Darish Tam Dikra, do you really mean to say that? Because, but the Gemara of Matthias says, so I care, right? The Gemara of Matthias starts from the Mishnah, right, from the Brice of Aronia, and says, we see from here that Behuda holds, not Darish Tam Dikra, and says, but do you really mean that? So we have, we have a Mishnah that holds them to care. The reason I bring it in is to show you that there's no Misura. Because if you have Masoridus, to which you're a and hold, then you can't then you can only ask the question in a tone of incredulity one way. And the fact that the the fact that the Suga exists in parallel forms where the same Lamemra, the same tone of incredulity is used to introduce the question both ways, means that the Gemara has no prior prejudice as to which way Rabbi Hudan Rishim as to which way Rabbi Rishim hold. Uh, right, it simply has right, it's, it's simply intellectual an intellectual discovery of what appears to be a contradiction between their positions. Okay? Fine. So the Gemara, right, so we all know, right, so the Gemara, so the Gemara Sanhedrin um, sets up a close um, in which Rabbi Huda says the limit is one, Rabbi Shimon says the limit is 18. Right, Rabbi Huda says the limit is one, Rabbi says the limit is one bad, and it's not clear he has a limit on good wives. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says the limit is one bad, but there is a limit of 18 on good wives, right? At least it's, it's one, one way, one way of reading the Sugya. And, um, okay, whereas the, mission, the mission of Metziah says, with his machlokas, whether or not the Isra's Losachal Deget Almana applies to an Almana Ashira. Right? If you are a Doresh Tamadikra, then it does not apply to an Almana Ashira, because, uh, because there's no, there's no chashash, because who's gonna, because she's not gonna be at your door any day, every day anyway. And if you were, and if you, but if you hold it not Doresh Tamadikra, so we simply have a statement which says, Losachal Deget Almana, and you have no grounds for limiting it, yes. 
based on that condition in time of the crop. And that's totally in the sea, it's telling the halakha. In other words, the reason why there's the, the reason why it's also to the Kabbalah Negev Yamanahia is because there's an, another halakha you have to return it. Okay, so that's the reality you're going to live in. It's totally in, 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 a, in a legal reality. But the legal, but the re- legal reality creates and this, this assumption of the Gemara is that halacha functions, of the Torah is that halacha functions. So the reality of this halacha is, right, is, is that way. We'll talk about that as we go on, but the way in which halacha is interrelated. But it's not, it's not as if he's, it's not. If you said there was an ideal construction called, right, called, called you know, that you have to, you know, lasishkav bavuto, which never really happened, and Rav Shimon came along and said, well, this halacha is based on that ideal construction, you have a problem. But if you take it as reality, then you really actually have to return it every day. So then it's a messias like any other messias. Um, yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Rishima says it doesn't apply to Rishima. Because she won't look bad. It's no issue. Exactly. You're not going to return it. Right. Okay. So we pointed out, right, we pointed out, right, which way does, which way does the Raman pass in, in terms of the Gemara of Mitzia? Amana, Bein Shiania, Bein Shiashir. Right? So the Raman pass is like Rabbi Huda, Lodoshin, and Tamil Dikra. And in the, um, whereas, whereas in the, whereas in, in Hilfus Malachim, the Raman mentions the number 18. Which does not comport with the position of Rabbi Huda, right? Right. So that was the fundamental. That's the first level steer in the Raman on the issue. Okay. The, the, the Gemara presents the Gemara presents two positions Rabbi Huda is being connected. One Almana ben Shenia ben Shiashira. The other is number eighteen is irrelevant to Lo Yarbel The Raman Paskin's like the position of Rabbi Huda relative to the Gemara of Mitzia, but does not, um, but but nonetheless mentions number eighteen in Nefesh Malach. So you could claim that you could claim that the right that the Ram in fact believes that there are three shitas in the in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, and that really if there are two different positions that can accommodate, sorry, there are two different theoretical positions that can accommodate the position of Rabbi Huda in Bavmitzia. You can either hold like Rabbi Huda or you can hold like the Tanakhama. And the focus between Rabbi Huda and the Tanakhama being whether you are a Dorish Tamadikra even when the Tam is Mithurish Bikra. Right? So you learn it by the position Rabbi Shimon that you're Dorish Tamadikra all the time. Position Rabbi Huda that you're Dorish Tamadikra when it's Mithurish. And the position of the Tanakhama that you're never Dorish. Okay? Both both positions right, both positions are um, both positions are plausible with are plausible with the Gemara in um, with, the, with the position attributed to Rabbi Huda in Dovinitsia. And in Mela, in Mela, the Rama simply poskins like the like Tanakama Sanhedrin, and the Tanakama Sanhedrin has no machlokus with Rabbi Huda on the issue of Alman. Okay, how do we know that? How do we know that's true? What does the Rama tell you in the Parish Mishnayos? He says, "Lo kavishim." He says, "Ain't a lot of lo kavishim, lo Okay, so this is not much emet. Right? It's not. It's not a. It's not a matter. It's not a matter of. Um, it's not a matter of conjecture. Right, so the Raman Paskin is like the Tanakama, and the Melev is no stira. Okay, the Raman Paskin is literally in the Kra to the ultimate extreme. The difficulty with that, of course, is that the Ramdam is that we have another Sugya, Sugya in Kedushan. 
Okay, what's the, what's the issue in the second condition? Now I think we're, we're, we're matrilineal descent, uh, matrilineal descent, um, if, we're, if you right in terms of women from not to non to non Right? Do you hold? Do you hold? Do you hold? Do you hold? Do you hold, do you hold that? Do you hold that the child of a male of a male Jew and a non-Jewish woman who is not from the Shiva Amim is in fact not? Right? How do you know that, that? Let's put it that way. How do you know that the that the child of the child of a Jew and a and a Gentile woman who is not from the Shiva Amim is not Jewish? Okay, the Gemara presents two different Mikoros, right? One is from the Pasuk of Kiyasirat Bincha Meacharai. The other is from some other Kambudit Drasha. And the Gemara says that the issue of which of these, the issue of which of these two Drashas you choose is dependent on whether you are Darish Tamadikra or not. Right? If you hold Darish Tamadikra, then you learn it from the Pasuk of Kiyasir. And if you hold, and if you hold, if you hold the Lord Hashem Tam Dekrah, then you learn it from a completely different pasuk. Okay, the Ram of course quotes which pasuk? Kiyosir. Okay, so we just resolve the difficulty in the Rambam by pointing out that by pointing out that there's a um, pointing out that there's a consistent position. The Rambam is never is never the Rambam is never Darish Tam and the problem is of course that the the Ram the Ram goes ahead and is quotes the position that is Darish Tam Okay, that is, um, to say the least, seriously problematic. Now, we could have, if we had believed the Ram, now the um, last edition of correctly is not, that there is that the, that the steer is not only in the Ram. Okay, why is the steer not only in the Ram? What's the other problem caused by the Pergain condition? How does the Pergain condition relate to the Pergain condition? It's all the left mission, yeah? You get the left mission? It's the first time, absolutely, right? The case the case in the uh, the case the case of Kesir bin Tamiakarai is in fact in the first time. So that should be a case where Rabbi Huda, uh, right, where should be a case where Rabbi Huda is Dorish Tam Dikra, and the Shimon in fact is not, so to speak, right? Because Rashimon would use the Tam to lafuke what you would otherwise conclude. And yet, the Gemara says that the Machlok Zerbi and Rishiman ties up the exact same way, right? The Harishiman is Mishak Harishiman is Dorish Tam Dekra, and the Rabbanon are not Dorish Tam Dekra. It's very nice from a scholarly perspective, it doesn't change anything. So you still have Machlok Zerbi, you, know, you, can, you can want to pass like this Zerbi as opposed to that Zerbi, but you still have Machlok Zerbi, and you still have the Stira and the Gemara that you have to resolve. There's still a steer in the position of Rabbi Huda, there's still a steer in the position of Rishimah. Right? Our position of the strength of the Gemara's answer is not, it's not a, um, it's not, it's not a Nebuchadnezzar. Um, okay, so the, um, so one could try to answer, right, that in point of fact, right, of the Gemara, that the position of the Rabbanan, in, the position of the Rabbanan in Kedushin is not the position of Rabbi Huda, and therefore the Ramad not asking the Rishimah against Rabbi Huda. But it's really the position of the Tanakh Kama. We are not Dorish Tamdikra, even if it's not Dorish Tamdikra, even if it's Mufurish. So you could reconcile the Ramas Pesach in Bab Mitzia with the Ramas Pesach in Kedushin by saying that he passes like a Yudah in both places. But then you can't, exp- you can't explain to Edrin, because it's an Edrin, he has to pass in the Tanakh Kama. Okay, you have three, right? The Ramas Pesach in point of fact, like three different, like, the Ramas Pesach in Sanhedrin, like the Tanakh Kama. 
in Bas Metziah, like either of Yehuda or the Tanakama, and in Kedushin, like either of Yehuda or Bishon. Okay, but there's no single Shita that if you take the realm as, as accepting the Gemara's face value, there's no single Shita that will that will explain the realm that will explain the realm regardless. Okay, because if he holds like correct, right, if he holds like the like the um, if he holds like Rabbi Huda, like Rabbi Huda in Kedushin, then um, then he then he then he it's so then he then he then he it's so sir it's so sir Sanhedrin. If he holds like Rabbi Shimon, it's it's so sir it's so sir both of them in Sanhedrin. There's no, there's no way there's no way to resolve the issue. Um, okay. No, he doesn't say little plug. I think he says little plug. Is that what he reads? No, I just Does he say that really there's no reason for an Ashira and nonetheless you do it anyway, or does he say that he thinks there's a reason that it should apply even to an Ashira? Saying Lopsug means that I think it it really shouldn't apply to an Ashira, but I'm doing it anyway because it's impractical to distinguish. Whereas, right, as opposed to whereas, whereas an alternative would be that I think there's a good reason for it to apply to Ashira as well. Well, you said it was going to end up sticking around there. Correct. Right. That, that, that reason really wouldn't apply to an Ashira. I said that it applies to an Ashira anyway. Okay, let's get out of look at it. Somebody have, somebody have the text? Um, mm-hmm. Very much nice to see it. Thank you. 
Mishnah tries to argue that would have right, left Mishnah comes up with a very cool argument, which is so again sort of problematic for for certain types of Hashem because he doesn't build it on pure conceptual thing, he does it on, on authority. He says what they're almost confronted is is a sugya which says one thing, and it's not right, which he wants the Paskin like, namely the Sugya and Kedushin and a bunch of others that imply the same thing. And uh, also um, and a sugya and a Stam Mishnah. So I had to find a way to resolve the Stam Mishnah. The Raman Paskin is like the Sugi in Kedushin, which argues that which argues that um, that um, Paskin is like the, the Sugi in Kedushin, and then Paskin is like Hiroshima. And the only question is, so how does he pass like Hiroshima? How do you deal with Stam Mishnah? And the answer is, there's a way to be milking the Mishnah according to Hiroshima. Okay, as in, you know, it's really the Raman Paskin is Darshina and Tamadikra. Okay, it's the area of your first person. It holds in principle, right? We're passing Darshan and Tamalikra. And there's a sugya, and Rami Paskin is like a physician, which the Gemara, which the Gemara believes is um, is Darshan Tamalikra solely because, um, so, solely, solely because the, um, solely because he has a stomach and he has to reconcile the tunnel. Okay, there have been many, 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 many other attempts to resolve this theorem. Uh, and an endless list of attempts um, to try and explain why, why the Raman would paskin the Shin and Tamadikra in one case and not in another case. And you can try, and if you take it, so I gave you the whole sheet, and spend tomorrow if you want, or this afternoon, or whatever. Going through all the cases, trying to work out. There's the Shita that you paskin Tamadikra the Khumra, but not the Kula. The Shita that you paskin Tamadikra the Kula, not the Khumra. The Shita that you paskin Tamadikra when it's negative shot of the Pasuk, and the, and the, and the, and the Shita that you paskin Tamadikra only when it's not negative the Pasuk. And the Shita that you paskin Tamadikra only when the Pasuk is not explicit. Etc., etc., etc. Okay, many, 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 many things. Harbet Yonishpah. One is that there are two cases that render the entire Shita. And those two cases are the, the last two cases of Ram Mikaros, namely the Gemara in Yuma and the Gemara in Sefer. Okay, Gemara and Yuma tells you what? Case. Yeah. 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 Okay, and then you have the Gemara in Sota, which says in Mashpin Shteso Diskachas, gives right, a, a, a structurally identical Gemara. Okay, and again the Gemara says the issue is, are you Dorish Tamadikra or are you not Dorish Tamadikra? Right, where you, you simply use use the word Osa and it gives enough community. Okay, right, and the Gemara in that case is clear. There's, right, it's clear in that case there's no issue of being the first Tamadikra or not the first Tamadikra. Right, it's a straight out it's a straight out issue. You either are Dorish or you're not Dorish. Nothing to confuse us. The Gemara says, um, the Gemara says clearly, right, that it, that this is that this machlokis is depend that each of these cases is dependent on the machlokis Darshin and Tamdikra or Lodashin and Tamdikra, um, and their own Paskins. So, what's, 
So whichever way you want to you want to try and find a way to draw the wrong Paskin Lodashin Talmudic draw in the three cases we gave first. There's a case where he explicitly passed in Darshina. You want to we want to draw the claim the wrong Paskin Darshina before there's a case where he explicitly passed in Lodashin. These two the reason these two cases are dispositive is because they are identical. There are no grounds for distinguishing these two cases. Because it's the exact same drusha. Right? So you can't make any claim whatsoever. Right? Any attempt to distinguish between cases falls apart on, on the rock of this case. Because there is absolutely no grounds for distinguishing. And the what you have is in inside the stereo. Right? There's no way there's no way whatsoever of resolving the wrong in terms of the signals. Um, except, I have a question. Um, Kazanish, who um, tells you something very, very strange. Not that dissimilar from the Lessa Mishnah, but with, I think, implications that can be made far more radical. And there says the following. The rest of the parallel say, um, however, right, he says, okay, the Ram Paskin is here like Tanakama, who seems to pass in Kirishiman. Right? But it doesn't prove anything if the Ram holds like Roshiman generally. But here, Ram, right, but here but here the there is no there's no reason whatsoever for this halacha if it weren't be wouldn't be for that. And he tells you, and go look at go look go look at the Ram in, in Hilfa Sota, who of course passes against Rishon. Okay, so let's examine which, which are dependent on the same machlokas or vision of Rishon. Okay, these two cases we just pointed out there are no grounds for distinguishing. Okay, comes along yet the Ram passes like one mandamar in one case and not like, and like the other mandamar in the other case. Um, the Chazanish to explain this says, well, in one case. It was absolutely clear that this was the only reason which could be offered. And in the other case, it was not absolutely clear that this was the only reason which could be offered. Okay, maybe. And I think you can basically boil down the Fasanish. The Fasanish formulates what he says specifically to avoid what I'm going to say. But nonetheless, I think if you if you if you if you explore what the Fasanish says, he said he's right, he fundament, fundamentally he's saying this, which is there aren't Paskin like the reasons he liked and didn't Paskin like the reasons he didn't like. Okay, the Khadish attempts to objectify what are on what grounds did the Ram like a reason, what grounds did the Ram not like a reason. The Ram liked the reason when, when there was no other possible reason to be offered and didn't like a reason when it was not the only possible reason to be offered. But when it comes down to it, like when it comes down to it, basically what he says is the Ram likes some reasons and not others. Um, and that of course resolves all the series because like the basic problem, right? Because anytime you find the Raman Paskining, like what looks to us like Rosh Hashanah it's not really true. We just didn't like the reason, right? And the biggest right of that is the Parish Mishnayot. So the Raman Paskin is like allegedly the Mandam of Rosh Hashanah and gives a reason for it, right? which makes no, which, which made no sense to us, right? Why is he Paskin like the Mandam of Rosh Hashanah The definition tells us the reason is because he thought there was, a good, there was a better reason the other way. It's not right. Now, the Raman rejects the claim of the Gemara that that right, that these issues are dependent on Darshin and Lord Darshin and Tamil Okay, and the Raman, the Raman Paskins 
and the Raman Paskins, and this the last mission that got right, because the last mission did it did it narrowly, right? That the um Paskins in principle Darshina and Tamadikra, but he recognized that the fact that the Gemara says that this goes according to the Manda Amr Darshina and Tamadikra does not compel everybody who believes Darshan and Darshan and Tamadik to Paskin them. Okay? So it seems to me say once you have the two cases in Par and Sota, it seems to me that there is no there is no there is there is no way out of it. There is no way out of this. However, once you do this, you just you discover there's a far more radical implication of this. Which is how do you ever prove anybody ever held the Darshan and Tamadik? Yes. Who said? Whoever said so explicitly? Yes. You could find Akronin, but in terms of the Gemara, and in terms of the Tanoim, yes, the Gemara assumes the Gemara seems. Well, to assume, asking, not you, not the Gemara asserts it. Yes. So we pointed out. We pointed out that the Gemara clearly had no authority about this, which was the point of the opening line of the Sugya. The opening line of the Shir, that the Gemara's government seal and Sanhedrin and Sanhedrin take opposite approaches. If you take a look at the Rishama, you will note that there is no trace. Uh, that there is no trace of any such Mahavadha. So if you take a look in the Rishalacha, you will note that there is no trace of any such, such Halacha. If you take a look at Sakhavita Tamadit, you will note that there are cases where Rabbi Huda is very explicitly Darish Tamadikra and Harbejo Nishbach. In the attempt to explain why it is that Rabbi Yehuda is the Rosh in these cases. So, and the, the radical thesis I want to assert is that the Gemara never means to make a blanket statement. Rabbi is not the Rosh Gemara thinks that there is a, which may very well be true, that there is a difference in attitude in Rabbi Shimon as to the freedom with which one is the Rosh and therefore, just as, right, the Gemara says, you know, the Tanakama Rabbi Shimon here doesn't mean that Rabbi Shimon would have been compelled to agree with this Tanakama, because if the Ram had the freedom to reject this particular Tana's um, reasons, so did the Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Huda became, Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Huda became names, right, became names for the more or less likelihood of being Darish Tamadikra. But it doesn't, but it doesn't mean that there actually was a position, per se, that rejected, in principle, Darish Tamadikra. Um, because in the absence of a Masoret, there is no way you could ever prove such a position. Right, that's the right, that's the right. Once you know the Ramadan, there isn't there is no there is no theoretical way in which one could prove a position. You could prove a very, very strong bias if you had 150 cases. But if you take a look and see the evidence is no one here that clear because the Gemara knows, because the very first thing the Gemara does, right, the, the very first thing the Gemara does, it generates a hysteria in Rabbi Huda. The only position the Gemara has which might, which is uncontradicted, is anonymous. So who knows anything about it? You say what the Gemara says, Rishimim is more liberal in the way that there is Right. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it, you'll discover, of course, that um, I think that this is not a chutz. Because there, because Torah is a very, very, very general document. Okay, here I, I give credit to an article by Jose Fadur in, uh, I think it's the, the Samuel Mursky Memorial Volume, which was uh, two of the, two of the, um, two of the really, really important articles written in, uh, in, 
the theology of the century. Um, I only know about it because Shalvin heard it from the library and thought they were going to get lots of verse for it, and they got like 300, 300 copies. Yeah, Mirsky Jubilee volume or something like that, yeah. And uh, Yehuda Glinsky was, was, was uh, delegated, was trying to get these copies out of Moscow. He was giving, <laughs> was giving copies away to everybody, everybody who could find, trying to get them to take copies of the entire Shalvin library with what he filled out with copies. And he pointed out correctly that it's two tremendous, tremendous articles. Um, one is um, this, um, which I'll talk about in a second. The other is Rabbi Wurzberger's Covenantal Imperatives. Um, if you haven't read it, you, um, it's a tremendously important article. It's probably the article which I would say like the one of the three most influential things I've ever read. Um, it turned into a book recently, which the theory is pretty, the theory is tremendously important. The, um, the applications are less, less so. The, 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 real, the real attempt to address the question of to what extent there's nothing beyond that. Um, we have to time some other points. The other point, we're talking about what exactly the Hiddush of it is, why it's so critical. Thorur, in his article, distinguishes between constitutions and codes. Okay, codes try to tell you what to do in cases. Constitutions try and give you guidelines right, in which to get, um, in which from which develop rules which will enable you to get bad cases. But constitutions don't take any specific position as to what should happen. They only take a position as to what situation should develop as a result of your specific decisions. Okay, laws try and affect the prop, right? The specific act right, laws function on the MISA level, whereas whereas um, whereas constitutions function basically on the Tod's Okay, and he points out that the um, the Torah the Torah is a constitution and not a code because the Torah simply cannot, certainly not big enough. Right? And it just Torah leaves things the Torah leaves you know it's just one sentence things. Um, which we, which you don't have to develop into entire universes, right? The says, no, take no. How do I know if it means How do I know if it means How do I know all these things? Okay, and if you think about it, discover every legal, every legal system, right? every law, every text, every text-based law will hit a point at which there is no textual hachreya to decide one way or the other. Okay, there will come a point when simply by reading the objective data I have, I have no way of deciding what comes next. Okay, in some laws it will become very early, and some laws will come later. But every every text-based legal system will eventually hit the point when you no longer have an objective answer to the question, what should I do in this case? Okay, and then in medieval philosophic terms, the Yimanami Chalukah. There are well, the only two possibilities once you hit that point. One possibility is to argue that it really doesn't matter which way, and, th and that that point is the point at which the theologic system becomes arbitrary. Okay, the Raman talks about not every part of the reason, it just has to happen one way or the other. Right? That's one possibility. But there are many cases where it seems where it seems intuitively implausible, to use a scary term, that it really shouldn't matter which way. Okay, right. There are cases where the cases there, right, you can come up with cases where one can see that there is a moral difference as to which way it should come out, and yet there is no and yet there is no textual proof one way or the other as to which way as to which way it should come out. And in cases like that, right, what we would call hard cases in Moscow. Okay? In cases right in cases like that, the only ground for deciding, and you have to decide it. Is an appeal to the spirit of the law. Right? 
That's the right, isn't it? It's yeah, basically. Feel the spirit of the law. Okay, I'm not. I'm not dealing. If I'm not dealing with questions of authority, the Rishonim Talmud Dikra is certainly an elitist concept. All right, I'm not claiming that Kuzi my you know my my or something like that. Right? Um, right? There's no um, and right. This is not. This is not any any, any type of the democratizing tendency. Um, but I think that if you if you if you study the nature of the legal system, you discover that it is inconceivable to develop a legal system which does not to some extent appeal at some point to Talmud Ikra. Now this is not a um, this is not a new debate. Uh, it's uh, to some extent this, the positivist school of law tries to argue that you can develop a legal system without Talmud Ikra, but all the serious all the serious practitioners have admit that there become a lot of hard cases where positive law where where, uh, where positive law requires one. To, to appeal to some sense of the spirit, just they argued in that case we just appeal to the spirit of the judge as opposed to the spirit of the, the spirit of the writer. Um, I believe, um, if you want, by the way, best best discussion of this is two books by Benjamin Cardoza, one called the growth of the law and the other called the nature of the racial process. They're by far the by far the, by far the best autobiographies of a person. Okay. So Right, so my, my contention is that what I'm claiming is the Shita Saramam is in point of fact the only plausible position anybody can take. And that if you find, and even though you will find any number of people, in fact, there'll be somebody will have to list them for you, or you can take out a very long response, and you can find the Shura Rashba and the Ritzta and all that. You'll find all these people who ask in Lodrashin and Tamadikra. And you'll find those same people offering Tamadikra on the next page. The hell just you know, if I go to uh, take out Habab Machteret, right? I'm a rabbi. My time is Machteret. Tons of halachas derived, you know, because you know, we say Habola Hargosh Hashkem Hargo. Tons of halachas derived from this. On almost every dot of shots, you'll find an Amora as my time, and you'll find Nachtimim, which is the importance of the the importance of the Mitzvahim, right? Because you could try and argue, ah, you know what? All those attempts at my time in the Gemara, they really have no Nachtimim. So it comes along Mitzvahim, and Mitzvahim tells you that you know what? It's only mutter to be darish tamadikra if there's an afkamina, and, the and therefore the mitzvah comes along and finds you the afkamina for every single tam offered in shas. So in case you had a halamina, you could offer tams which wouldn't have afkaminas, and the mitzvah comes along and tells you, no, no such thing. I can find an afkamina for every single for every single tam you ever offered. Um, so Mela, once you understand, once you the mitzvah is correct that for every tam, every tam offered, one can find an afkamina. And you and the and the 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 um, lion that there are time offered in every daf of shas. So you discover that every any position literature in Tamadikra will have to be limited extremely narrow. And in point of fact, as much of the Afrona will spend their time right, trying to explain why it is that in that case, well, in all of these cases ad hoc with Dorish Tamadikra, despite the fact that in principle we hold literature in Tamadikra. Okay, it seems to me to be a much simpler solution. To simply argue that in point of fact everybody argues in principle darshinan, just they have different attitudes towards at what point, right? You know, is it a last resort or is it a first resort or is it a second resort? Okay, because some people will go to the wall to try and resolve the, the case on objective data before they're before they're compelled to resort to tamim, and some people will say, look, it seems plausible to me, you know, okay, but in principle the claim. That you could develop a system without time is not is not 
being sustainable. Um, Emela, that um, that would seem to imply we should try and develop we should try and develop the Dara limit if there um, that offers room for creativity and limitless and um, is, and acknowledges the the, um, the role of time in its case. And yet one has to um, yet one has one has to acknowledge that the critique that is offered with the Ramas time in its face is tremendously powerful. Um, for the Ramas time in its face we're, we're clearly timed up. Um, there is a almost there is a moment there is a moment that should create extreme extreme caution. It's important to note that most modern Jewish philosophers have adopted a very unique method. The source of knowledge for them is medieval Jewish philosophy. The living historical religious consciousness which embraces both antiquity and modern times is ignored. Such a method, dependent on medieval Jewish philosophy, cannot cope with the problem of Jewish philosophy for three reasons. First, medieval Jewish thought, despite its accomplishment and merit, has not taken deep root in Jewish historical religious realism and has not shaped Jewish religious world perspective. Fine. Okay, right, we have to talk about the philosophy of religious realities experienced by the entire community and not some abstract metaphysics cultivated by an esoteric group of philosophers, which we of course might be. Second, we know that the most central concept of the evil Jewish here's, here's, you got you gotta listen to the next two sentences because they're they're moment that, that it's a moment that should just um, just bring home how hard it is to do this. Um, that that this could that this could this could happen. Second, we know that the most central concept of evil Jewish philosophy are rooted in ancient Greek and medieval Arabic thought and are not of Jewish origin at all. It is impossible to reconstruct a unique Jewish world perspective out of alien material. Okay, we're all clear on that? We're gonna be internal. Third, right? Right, so you can't read again, no we don't want to be rooted in ancient Greek and medieval Arabic thought, we don't want stuff that's not a Jewish origin. Right, very important line. It is impossible to reconstruct a unique Jewish world perspective out of alien material. Next sentence. Third, the Hegelian thesis that philosophy is synonymous with fire, continuous process and activity, has been borne out by contemporary scientific fact and has become a, has become a truism in modern philosophy. Let's watch the flow. Right? We can't but we can right, we can't we cannot bind Judaism to ancient Greek concepts because the Hegelian concept that philosophy that philosophy is fire has been borne out by contemporary fact and is now a truism. You can again. I wouldn't. I don't want to. You know, put it anywhere that artfully because you can't. I don't know. Alien category, foreign category. But the claim that you can, the claim that you can rise above external influence, right? You know, is 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 it, basically it's basically unsustainable. Everybody everybody brings their particularly people get interested in philosophy, bring some kind of external influence to the table. A couple of times the famous line where he says, you know, that you have real dust or you can't even read a newspaper because it ruins it, which I always love because it means there's no real dust or so everyone's you know, put on the street and you've been exposed to something. Right? It's one of these things that throws too much. Say is that I think there's a difference between the conscious and the subconscious. 
Okay, maybe. But there are there somewhere in between because it was one sentence apart. But I mean, uh, what does it matter if it's conscious like, or subconscious? What? What does it matter whether it's conscious or subconscious? If the question, the claim is that legitimacy depends on autonomy, then it's not clear to me why it should make a difference. What is it? Because I think the perceived, I think the perceived autonomy equals autonomy. Interesting claim. Yeah, your last question has some more, you just play defense on more, so you're going to the last one. Because the perception makes the lack of the autonomy, in other words, um, uh, brings you away to a certain extent of the source which is coming. Maybe. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that being self-conscious doesn't liberate you from being influenced. Because you can, you, can, you can say, okay, now I have to really be careful because I'm being influenced. Assuming you care to be careful. Okay, but maybe, but... Self-conscious caution might be better than lack of lack of self-consciousness. Um, I don't pretend to be uninfluenced by external uh, the external factors. I didn't know uh, there's no hope. Um, there's no hope whatsoever. Uh, you know, if I have to list major influences, then you know, there's no, no question that a great deal of, of the American experience um, filters in filters into what I, you know that I think. They've been heavily influenced by democratic categories, by um, by, by um, federalist categories. We'll talk about federalism a lot next year, and um, and by the experience of having been of having read um, non-Jewish non-Jewish fiction, like Graham Greene, particularly Graham Greene, had tremendous influence on me. Um, sort of a show with Anne Rand had a tremendous influence on me. Uh, uh, and and many um, and many many others. Um, the question, the question, the question is: If you grant that, you grant that the that the search for that kind of objectivity is not really going to happen, right? What, right? What basis, right? What is the way in which you can develop a um, philosophy, a philosophy of knowledge? Um, and again, so we're looking, uh, uh, we're looking, we're looking for a philosophy. We're looking for a philosophy which will produce a derech, and we're looking for a derech that's capable of providing creativity. Um, that's a tall order. Uh, whether it can be done or not is um, is not clear. The the goal the goal in um, it's not really, it's not really the um, uh, in the nineteenth century kind of high end versus there was a whole cauldron of ideas going on with the Russian playing over here. Why could we just go back and look at what people are doing and see if there's get some inspiration to work? You could. You could mean, you would be interested in that. It depends who you talk to. You know, why, is there, you. why is there a moment that you don't think that things should develop sociologically and naturally? In other words, nobody ever sat around. He's a general mistake. So I shouldn't kind of think there's another thing of the people in contemporary times. You do it. You discover that you discover that in fact, when in fact, somebody beat you 99% of the way there. 
if it works. I think if you really develop something radically new, it would have no it would have no legs. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not that you can't set out to say, okay, look, this this has been done. I'm not going to write another anthology. Right? Where where is the room for me to actually say something new? Well, there's room to say something new, but that new, as in general, follows something without their rest. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But you have to. But I don't think that being self-consciously trying to be new is necessarily is necessarily is necessarily absurd. You have to be honest afterwards and realize, okay, you know, I thought it was I thought it was new. But in point of fact, if I look back now, I can write my own intellectual biography and see that the following 15 people beat me to everything. Um, any case, I don't claim to have anything new. Yaakov Ganak and I thought once upon a time that introducing academic scholarship, introducing academic academic methods into it would be the would be the way that you could develop new era. But um, the point of fact, if you really study it, introduce academic data, what you get is um, you get is more data which you can apply the exact same criteria to. And write, new, and write new anthologies to it. It's not clear that it's not clear that that academic method per se gets you creativity. And you can try and do things like you know, the the ending of the shiri, you know, pointing out pointing out you know the perspective on on Gemara as possibly applying names to, to trends. The idea of you know looking back at Yerushalmi, you could try and argue that provides room for creativity. It's not clear. What I've been working on for the past couple of years, and that's what um, and that's what I'm hoping to do this summer is to try and see if there's a way in which by thinking of halakha in terms of political philosophy, there's room for something that hasn't been done before. Um, which is to say, instead of looking at the way in which a specific mitzvah functions, try and look at what the, the way in which a constellation of mitzvahs creates a society. Um, that's the other view again. The, um, there you go. That's, that's sort of you know, the kind of thing that 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 Elliot, Elliot's question earlier, you know, isn't you know, isn't isn't the Lasachal Dagalmana built on right according according to the, built on the idea that you have a Bavoto. So that means that you can't look at the purpose of any mitzvah in isolation. You have to look at the way they work together. That's one thing. That's it. But it turns out that's actually way too big for me. So what I actually do is instead is try and try and focus, try and focus not on the way in which halacha creates a society, but the way in which halacha is created. Um, so try and try and look at the decision at the at the process by which we make halakhic decisions and see if you can see if you can discover something new by see if you can discover something about the values of the system by what kinds of things are done in the way in which the decision is made. Um, and there is simple what type well in, um, to what extent do you value dissent? Okay, let me tell you something about the right to what right, um, and that will work more general thing to what extent do you believe that the value of dissent generally implies a, a healthy skepticism about the about, about the um, the non corruptibility of man. The reason you need dissent is because you suspect otherwise people will become corrupt. And um, things like that. So you try and develop what I call a political philosophy of Allah. Um, I think it's you know, there's the article of other major people the other uh, you'll, uh, you'll hear it again, because uh, I still, regardless of whether the specific conclusion is true, I still think the specific conclusion is quite compelling. Um, but the approach there is just to try and say, to try and, and discover what the, what the, really it's not explored, what is the role of dissent in a theocratic system? But is there possibly a value to, to preserving dissent in a theocratic system? Uh, what we're going to try and do this month is, is, revolve around issues of midnight and hoping that it leaves with a window for trying to figure out whether or not 
And what really halacha deals with the value of religious diversity? Right. To what extent? To what extent is the goal a homogeneous population? To what extent is the, to what extent is the goal you know a population where everyone gets to do their own thing to the extent possible? Okay. What type? Right. And there are a lot of different reasons why you might want something homogeneous, and a lot of different reasons why you might want something to be to be, to be diverse. And trying to figure out if you can discover the priority to which these value, which these values are given. The way we should do that is pretty traditional on this, uh, except that uh, it's, it's just, there's just a point where I just can't bring myself to say the same factors over again, I do further. <laughs> That's why we left. So there'll be, there'll be a lot of pleasure instructing. But, um, but basically, the, the analytic tools that I have are pretty much related to a resident study and some other philosophy. Uh, is not, I don't claim to have better any kind of new conceptual tools from my housing life. I don't know of any of the other reasons why guys, again, very But hopefully, you can use those in the service of a different type of question. And if you use the same criteria in the service of a different type of question, then it might be possible to create something that is not necessarily exactly the same thing before. And then it might actually be possible once you have it once to start figuring out what is it that enables one to do this and start seeing if it can work out a viable much better Or maybe not. Anyway, that's the dramatic, grandiose vision of what the public is supposed to accomplish in three weeks. Thank you, you're going to go ready.